Well, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jamie, and I'm honored to be here this morning sharing with you from God's Word. As you know, the last couple of weeks, the last couple of months, we've been looking at the book of Acts, and we've been going through that chapter by chapter to look at how the early church was unstoppable. And this morning, we're going to continue in that series, and we're going to focus in on Acts chapter 9 through Acts chapter 11. And I know that sounds like a lot of scripture, but we're not going to read the entire thing. We're just going to read some portions this morning. But what I would encourage you to do is to go home, and between this Sunday and next Sunday, read Acts 9 through 11 to get the full picture of what's going on, because it's very powerful and really interesting. So backing up a little bit, a couple of weeks, Paul is giving us kind of character sketches of different uh, men of God in the Bible. And in Acts chapter 7, he tells us about Stephen. In Acts chapter 8, he tells us about Philip. And then in Acts chapter 9, he tells us about Saul's conversion. And all of these stories show how the gospel was being spread very rapidly in that early church. So we're in the end of chapter 9, and this is where Peter comes on the scene. Now, Peter is interesting. If you know anything about Peter, he's a little rough around the edges. He's also a little awkward. How many of you have an awkward friend? You don't have to elbow anybody, but just wink at me if you have that awkward friend. Um... I think we all have that awkward friend. How many of you are the awkward friends? Some of, yeah, we're all raising our hand. I confess I am the awkward friend in the relationships, and I have hundreds of embarrassing stories, so I'm just warning you, if you hang out with me, I will be your awkward friend. I was just remembering this morning as I was drinking my coffee how one of my awkward moments was driving to a mom's group to speak, and I was late because my car was having trouble, and this was over 10 years ago, and I'm still remembering how embarrassing it was, but the car was not running well, and I had to pull off and get that looked into really quick, so I was already behind, and I was driving about an hour away during rush hour, and I got there like literally two minutes before I was supposed to speak, and it was all these round tables with about 100 women in the room, and they're all having breakfast and drinking coffee and having a wonderful morning, and I come in just like kind of frantic and distracted and they have kind of rearranged the schedule because they knew I was going to be late and they, they said just go sit at that table catch your breath and we'll introduce you in a minute and the moment I sat down I spilled my coffee all over the table all over the women sitting there it's dripping it gets on me and I have to go up and speak as I'm covered in coffee it was just mortifying and I thought I get Peter Peter Peter's my people. Peter is this guy that just constantly embarrasses himself, and I, I kind of feel bad for him, but God does such amazing things through Peter and redeems his story that it gives us awkward people some hope. We have hope, and I just want to encourage you with that today. So Peter was impulsive. He was brassy. He kind of would say whatever came to mind. His mouth got him in trouble a lot, 
And he also is the one who, if you remember, when uh, Jesus was walking on the water towards him, Peter like jumped out of the boat and went to walk on the water too, and he started to sink, and Jesus rescues him. Um, Peter's the disciple who cut off the ear of a soldier who was attacking Jesus and the disciples. He's just in one situation after another where the disciples were probably like, Peter, come on, man, like get it together. And yet he does get it together. And he does have this miraculous life turnaround. And that's what I want to talk about today. Um, in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said to Peter, Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Jesus knew the destiny of Peter. And that gives you and me hope today that he can take our messiness, our awkwardness, our mistakes, and he can use us. He's not looking for perfect people. God is looking for people who are ready, willing, and able to serve him. And he will use what we give him. And that's what he did with Peter. Peter is also the person who denied Jesus three times before the crucifixion. And you know that Peter had to carry tremendous guilt over that mistake he made, and yet Jesus loved Peter, and he saw Peter's heart, and he gave him a second chance. So after Jesus's resurrection, there was this breakfast on the shore where Jesus reinstated Peter to ministry after Peter had made that mistake, and his last recorded words to Peter were, follow me. Peter indeed followed Jesus. He grew immensely in his faith. He matured in his faith to the point that he took bolder and bolder steps of faith for Jesus. And the entire church was changed because of this man's courage. So what we're going to look at today is what happened to Peter after Jesus died and ascended into heaven. That is really when you see Peter just flourish and mature and become the rock that Jesus had called him, that, that Jesus had prophesied over Peter, saying, you are going to be this amazing man of God. That's what we're going to look at today. So I'm going to start in Acts 9, 32, and it says, As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name was Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with him, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and the clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. 
So in this passage, we read about two huge miracles that Peter was a part of. This paralyzed man who had been bedridden for eight years was healed, and then a woman who had died was raised from the dead. And in both of these cases, it says that many people came to know Jesus. They turned to the Lord. So there's a theme here that miracles lead to evangelism. Peter traveled about the country, and as he was going about his daily life, his daily obedience to God, verse 33 says he found a man. That was the man that he was going to help heal, that he was going to pray for, and that man would be healed. And this made me think about how as we obey God, and we're going about our daily lives, God puts people in our path right where we are. And who might we be missing who is right in front of us that God wants us to minister to? Peter saw a need, and he was ready. Peter was ready to go. He was ready for God to use him. He didn't see these moments as interruptions to his daily schedule. He took time to be with people, to see their needs, to pray with them, and see them be healed. And may we never put our projects and our plans ahead of people. People are the reason that Jesus came to this earth. People are the reason that God wants to use us. People need Jesus. People need miracles. How many of you need a miracle? How many of you know someone who needs a miracle? God will use us if we are ready. God has brought several people to our own home, even recently, like repairmen, people that come to the door, and interesting things have been happening, and I don't know if you've seen this happen too, but we've had more than one person come to work on our house who we've ended up talking to and having conversations about God. A lot of times they look around our house, they wonder if we're believers, they ask questions, and God has given us different opportunities to talk to these people because people are searching right now. They are seeking answers. They are scared, and we're finding that there's a lot of fear and they want someone to process this with, but they don't know who. So I would encourage you to take advantage of those moments where someone comes to help you, or maybe you're in a car, or you're in an Uber, and you have this moment of opportunity, and you can either get on your phone and ignore the person, or you can strike up a conversation. So let's be ready to respond to the people that God puts in our path. I admit that I'm often drawn more towards projects and plans than people sometimes. If you're a type A person, you might understand that struggle. The downside is that sometimes we default to seeing people as problems or people as distractions, but people are our purpose. People are why God has put us here on earth. Verse 43 is interesting because it can easily be overlooked. But this is a really key verse for what's about to happen. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Simon was someone who Peter was not supposed to be staying with. This was according to Jewish custom. You see, a tanner made animal hides, made leather, I'm sorry, out of animal hides. They dealt with dead animals. So Jewish people considered tanners to be unclean. Tanners also typically smelt. They lived in homes that were outside of the city because they 
we're dealing with dead animals. So it's not a place you would want to go spend the night. If you have a choice of where to stay, you're probably not going to choose a tanner's house because it reeked of dead animals. And yet that is where Peter found himself staying. And it just makes you wonder why that was. But it was through this relationship that God was preparing Peter for what was about to happen that was bigger than him. Peter saw Simon the Tanner for who he was, not what he did. Have you ever met someone who turned out to be totally different than you were expecting? We naturally tend to make judgments about people based on what they do, who they hang out with, what they wear, what they look like sometimes, even what they drive. And sometimes we form these little opinions about them without even really knowing them. I would venture to say that most likely all of us are biased towards some people or against people based on how we were raised, where we have lived, and who we've been around throughout our lives, even if we're unaware of it, or even if we don't want to be that way. So Peter had every reason to stay away from Simon the Tanner because cultural norms and prejudices had pit these two types of people against each other. One was considered clean and one was considered unclean. The interesting thing is that Peter was kind of a Christian celebrity. He was this well-known disciple who had been healing people. He could have stayed with anybody he wanted and yet he chose Simon the Tanner. Maybe it was because this was the place people would least expect him to be. Maybe him staying there opened the eyes of other Christians, believers in the area, so that they would see their leader staying with someone who was different. In this way, Peter was following the example of Jesus by hanging out with the outcast, by hanging out with the marginalized of society, the rejected, even by the religious leaders. But when we are open to God bringing people into our lives who are different than us, God often uses those people to change us. Will we allow God to bring people into our lives? People are our purpose. Peter stayed with Simon, preparing him for the next miracle that was about to take place, and that's in Acts chapter 10, where we read about the story of Cornelius. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. You'll know it because it smells. Jeremiah 29, 13, it doesn't say that, I just, I just threw that in there. Cornelius was a Roman soldier in charge of a regiment. He was a very important man. He was a leader. He had to be tough to be in this position. But in this position, he was also required to honor Caesar above all else. But the Bible tells us he was a good man. He was God-fearing. He gave generously, and he even prayed. So why then would Peter need to visit this man? Wasn't this man already saved? 
Well, Cornelius is an example of somebody who was doing all the right things, all the religious things, but he was missing the relationship with God. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek, search for me with all your heart. So Cornelius was someone who was seeking after God, and God answered that prayer. God sent Peter to Cornelius. And it's interesting that Cornelius had had this vision, um, and the angel or, or God could have revealed the plan of salvation to him in that moment, but God chose to use Peter to let Peter bring the message of God to Cornelius and his family. God wants to use us like that in those situations. He wants us to work together with him. So all around us are good people who are doing good things, but they're missing the relationship with Jesus. All around us, we have neighbors, coworkers, friends who have been taught that if they just do enough good things, they'll get to heaven. And yet this shows us, this passage, that even good people with good intentions still need to have a relationship with Christ. That is why Peter was sent to this family. They had been seeking God, and God responded. Who in our own lives is believing the lie that you have to be good in order to get to heaven? That is who God wants us to minister to. So in verse 9, it says, About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who is known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter's experience with the tanner prepared him for this moment, for this vision. God was working on something very deep in Peter's heart at this moment. It was something that maybe he didn't even know was there. It was a root of racism that had been taught by his culture. It was a, a root of favoritism. God wanted to tear down those walls in Peter that had been built to teach him that certain people were cleaner than others, that certain people were higher than others, uh, that the way he had learned that certain people shouldn't have access to the gospel, but others should. God was tearing down and dismantling a root of favoritism and, and racism that had been in Peter that God did not want there anymore. And there was a reason for this. Look at th these three verses again. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Peter talked back to God. That's pretty serious. God told him to do something, and Peter said no, because it went so far against what he knew to be right. He was confused. 
The voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This shows how shocking this was for him to hear God and say, I can't do that. But this isn't just talking about animals here. This was talking about people. This entire culture had been taught to believe that certain people were clean and other people were unclean. And the meat they ate or didn't eat was a representation of how they also saw people. They stayed in their own groups and they didn't associate with people who were different from them, who they deemed unclean. So God was in this moment tearing out roots from Peter's heart that had been there for decades, everything he had ever believed. But Peter could remember Jesus' own example in doing this, and now the work had to start in his own heart. Do we see this happening today? We see it all over. Racism is still alive and well in our country, in our state, and I've even seen it in this county. Sin is impressed upon our hearts everywhere we go, and it's so important that we examine our hearts to see if there's any trace of this, because God does not want us to see anyone as clean or unclean based on ethnicity, the color of their skin, where they're from, or anything else. I'm just a white girl from Temecula. What do I know about racism? What I do know is that I have many friends who have experienced this firsthand, even locally. And the most painful experiences have been, even from people within the church, through comments and jokes or minimizing of their stories. But if we want God to use us and we want to be ready, we need to examine our hearts and be willing for God to change us before we try to do miracles in his name. Peter was ready to let God use him. He was also willing to let God change him. Peter had this life-changing moment, and as a leader, this had to happen in his heart before he could go any further. God wanted to do more miracles through him, but first, this had to change. This time, the miracles were not just going to be for a certain group of people. They were going to be for everybody. So let's look at what happened next in verse 23. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. That's showing humility. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered three days ago, I was at my house praying at this very hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is in the guest he is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. 
While Peter was still speaking these words, skipping down to verse 44, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. So circumcision had another way of separating people in this culture. I won't go into that today. But the circumcised believers who went with Peter were astonished. They, their minds were blown that God would pour out his gifts to the Gentiles because they thought that the Gentiles were unclean and that the gift was only for them. So Cornelius's conversion would have been a major stepping stone to the gospel spreading in Rome at that time. I want to remind you of something here, and that is that in this story, we are the Gentiles. We are the unclean ones. We are the ones who would have been in the centurion's home if we were not born Jewish. So this is the moment that the gospel was revealed to us. This is our history. This is our story. These people who were the friends and family of the centurion, again, they were good people, but they were missing that relationship with God. They needed to know that Jesus didn't just come for one elite group of people, but he came for everyone. Can you imagine what would have happened if Peter had been stubborn and not allowed God to change his heart about this? How the gospel may never have spread outside of his immediate comfort zone. It wouldn't have spread to the centurion family, and it would not have spread to Rome. God had to do that work in Simon's heart that started at the home of the tanner. Peter didn't just go to the centurion's home. He went inside of the centurion's home, and he fellowshiped with them inside with the whole family. When we are ready for God to use us, and we are willing for God to change us, he calls us outside of our comfort zone. What is outside of our comfort zone today? Where is God pushing your boundaries? Where are you feeling uncomfortable, but also led by God? I know something that's outside of our comfort zone. It's small groups. I wasn't even asked to talk about this, but I wanna make a point here. Small groups in your home or in someone else's home are definitely outside of your comfort zone, especially when they might be with awkward people. It's a risk, but small groups are life-changing. They help us to invite other people we wouldn't normally be with, or maybe we wouldn't normally hang out with, and we learn from them and we grow with them. And eventually, they become like family. So all of these stories that I just read to you about the miracles, the two miracles, and then the centurion's home, all of them have something in common. They all happened within the context of the home. All of them happened inside of the home. They didn't happen at the church. They didn't happen at the temple. They didn't happen outside. They happened in the homes. So something happens when we gather together as people of God within homes. Miracles happen. When we go to where people are and we step into their world and we get out of our comfort zone and we take the risk, our lives change, their lives change, miracles happen. 
God changes us through the people we meet, and he, he uses us and he uses them, so we sharpen one another. So I encourage you to look at this small group card. It's out there on the table. Look at both sides. Sign up for one. I know it's a risk. I know it's uncomfortable. And you might be the awkward person in the room, but that's okay because I am too, and we'll get through it, and we'll make friends, and we'll become like family, and it's going to be worth it. So I really encourage you to take a step of faith, be courageous, and sign up for a small group. We're going to look at one last passage of Scripture. It's in Acts 11, verse 1. It says, The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them? Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I'm going to skip to to the end. In verse 17, so if God gave them the same gift he gave us, Peter says, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. The apostles and believers really had to trust Peter in this moment. They had to trust his leadership. They had to trust God's work in his life. But what's interesting is they never got into a big fight about this. They never had a big church split over this. Um... God changed their hearts as well because they were also willing to be changed. And as a result, they were ready and they were willing to allow God to change them so that the gospel could spread even further. And in verse 19, it says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So now it was up to the believers to spread the word. Notice that verse 19 said they had been scattered by persecution. Some only told Jews the good news, perhaps because they didn't know yet that the gospel was for everyone. Maybe it was because of the region they were in. But some of them went to places where Greeks were and began to tell them the good news as well. The believers were ready, they were willing, and they were able. They were able to go. Now all of us may not be able to travel to spread the good news, but we are all able to open our mouths. Show me, open your mouth. We are all able to open our mouth. All of us are able to speak in one way or another. We are all able to spread the good news. All of us are able to share God's love with the people right next to us. So we can be ready, we can be willing, we are also able. Verse 26 says, So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. This is the story of how you and I, 2,000 years later, came to Crossroads Church in Temecula and why we're sitting here this morning. That's amazing because these believers were ready, willing, and able to have their hearts changed, to overcome social biases, and to get to know people like you and I and tell us, the Gentiles, about the gospel. Now it's time for us to continue the work that they started. 
The gospel is for everyone, but we have also been guilty of not always acting like it is. We've stayed safe in our Christian communities. We go to our churches. We surround ourselves with people who are just like us. And there's benefits to that in some ways, but we can also miss the mandate. What if that might be saying to people outside of our circles that we think we're too good for them or that we're cliques? We have to open our doors. We have to have conversations with people who are different from us. We have to be ready, we have to be willing, and we have to be able, we are all able to, sh to have conversations and share the good news. So I want us to ask ourselves a question this morning. Are we passively sharing the good news and waiting for people to come to us? Or are we actively sharing the good news and opening our mouth when we have the opportunity? As you've seen in the news this week, Christians all over the world are being persecuted, and especially in Afghanistan right now. As we go about our daily lives and our busyness, I want us to remember that while we're safe in our homes and safe in our churches, our brothers and sisters there are being killed for their faith, even as we sit here this morning. This week, I listened to a very powerful interview with a pastor from the underground church. Some of you may have heard it. In the interview, Jenny Allen, a Bible teacher from Texas, and she's the founder of the If Gathering, she interviews a pastor in the Middle East who is working undercover about the persecution that they're facing. Many are hiding in caves and hills right now, running for their lives, because there is a hit list of underground church pastors in Afghanistan. There are women and girls in hiding because they are going to be kidnapped and given to the Taliban as prizes. And if you have a woman or a girl or a child who's, who's a small girl in your home, you're supposed to put an X on your house so that they know that you have a girl in there. And they will come kidnap that girl and take her to be given to the Taliban. And if you are found to be lying, they will kill the whole family. So a lot of families are telling the girls, they're giving the girls guns and saying, fight for your life, but there's not much we can do. So this pastor talks about the strong faith of the believers in Afghanistan, but what struck me the most is how he talks about these believers being ready, willing, and able to fight for their faith and even die for their faith. It makes me think about how here in America, some of us are so comfortable that we've began to take our faith for granted. So we don't share with others. We hide our faith in our homes. We don't want to be inconvenienced. But this underground church is in full operation. That has not stopped them. And it ultimately comes down to obedience. So I um, made a short minute and 30 second clip. It's a audio recording. And I'd like you to listen to this about what he says about the underground church. Take a listen. I want you to give a picture of, of a believer there in Afghanistan and, and just their commitment to Christ and what that looks like because they haven't had the discipleship that we've had, even though it has happened, praise God, because you all have been a part of, of helping that happen. Um, they still don't, you know, they're not sitting there with years and years and years of following Christ behind them, but they are, they are completely in to the point of risking their lives for Jesus. Talk about just that mentality and, and what it looks like to choose Jesus in that context. 
Well, you know, one of the things we have to redefine is what does it mean to be mature in Christ? Is it years or is it obedience? So I actually chose obedience and not years because there are many people who have years in Christ and they're not obedient. So the biggest difference right now is that what's happening in Afghanistan and the rest of the Middle East is that they've learned to obey Christ. Jesus says, if you love me, you obey me, and you cannot pick the, the gospel and the Bible as a buffet. They obey all the commandments of Christ. They obey the whole Bible and nothing but the Bible. And so these believers, they might be one year or two year, but they're very mature because from the moment they've met this God, they've been obeying this God and trusting this God actually tangibly feeling God, seeing him in our lives, becoming personal because we're listening to him. And after all these months, even a year, they're completely sold out and they know the Bible is the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. That's powerful. It all comes down to obedience. Are we ready and willing and able to spread the gospel? People around us right now are scared. They're watching the news and they're wondering if it's the end of the world. They're searching for answers. They're trying to do good things, but they're missing the relationship with God. And, and we are the ones that hold the answers. Not only that, but we have the freedom to tell them. Who has God placed in your immediate circle who you can reach out to? Who is he already bringing to your door? Who is already right outside your door? In your neighborhood, where are you going on a regular basis where you are surrounded by people? School? Is it work? Let us not take one moment for granted. Jesus is coming, and we need to be ready, willing, and able. It all comes down to obedience. I'm going to invite the worship team back up to sing one last song, but before we close in that song, I want to go ahead and pray for us that God would challenge us to leave today and not take this faith for granted, that we would be obedient to his voice and we would share him with others because there are people desperately who need to hear God's word. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we're here today, that we have freedom to gather together and be encouraged by your word, Lord. But God, I pray that you would empower us not to be passively sharing your good news with others, God, but to be actively sharing you with others. God, I pray that we would open our eyes to see who you've placed right in front of us, that we would not miss any opportunity to share you with other people. Give us the words to say, Lord. Give us those opportunities. God, I pray that you would help us to get outside of our comfort zones and to take risks and to be involved in other people's lives. Father, maybe this morning you're challenging people to join a small group. Maybe you're challenging people to invite somebody to church. Maybe you're challenging us to pray more for these believers in Afghanistan that you would strengthen their faith. God, right now we do pray again for them. God, that you would put a hedge of protection around your people, that you would give them boldness and courage, that you would give them encouragement, that you would give them places to hide, and God, that you would rescue your people, God. We pray for peace in that place, Lord, and we pray for solutions and answers, that you would show us what we can do to help. And God, for anyone here today who has been trying to be a good person but has missed the relationship with you, God, I pray for those people, Lord, that they would open their hearts to you, that we would submit to you, that we would give you everything, God, that you would become Lord of our lives, 
Lord, that we would turn our hearts and our lives over to you and, and stop making it about works, but about a relationship with you, Jesus. So today as we leave, may we leave different and empowered and encouraged to go share you boldly with everyone in our communities and our neighborhoods, God. And may you rip out any trace of bias or racism or anything that would make us feel that we're better than other people, God, because you have made us all equal under your grace. We thank you for your love and your mercy today, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.